This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Ken Smethers. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money here in Sirius XM's Business Radio 132. It's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ken Smethers, a professor here in the Philadelphia campus. Remember, we are live every Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. That's 2 to 4 p.m. for those of you on the West Coast. And the purpose of the show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. We often focus on, uh, in the first part of the show, ways to increase your productivity and your income. Today's case, talking about maybe switching careers in the rest of the show. We typically focus on ways to then wisely spend and save that income, including things like paying down debt, buying insurance, and of course, how to invest your money. Uh, with that, let me introduce uh, Don Graham. She's the career director for the Wharton Executive MBA program. And again, uh, author of the new book uh, Switchers, and she is a, uh, has a PhD um, and is uh, a, a, one of the um, nation's leading career coaches. And as I mentioned earlier, the career director for the MBA program for executives at, at the Wharton School, where she counsels business leaders on making kind of strategic uh, choices. These are usually people taking these programs who already are executives uh, in their own programs. And she also has a career uh, a talk show on this uh, station um, I call Career Talk on, uh, uh, here on 132. And she's also a regular contributor to Forbes.com. Welcome to the show, Don. Good to be back, Kent. And if you have a question for Don about switching careers, uh, again, you know the number, but I'll give it to you anyway. It's one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And I should also point out her show is on Thursdays at noon uh, uh, Eastern. So, Don, just let's define some words here. What what is a switcher? I mean, is it anybody just changes a job? How do you define it? So, in the book, switchers would be defined as somebody who's making an industry or functional switch, or maybe both. So so it's not the traditional promotion, or you kind of get off the ladder that you've gotten on early in your career, and you decide to do something completely different, whether that's industry, functional, or both. And interestingly... You know, more and more people, as you mentioned, Kent, are becoming switchers, especially people who go back to get their MBAs. So over 60% of people who go back to get an advanced degree are looking to make a significant switch. Yeah, I was really surprised uh, by that. And I know it's, it's certainly different for the full-time versus the executive MBA program, but it's it, it, even inside the executive MBA program, a, a considerable amount of switching goes mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And is it is it sixty percent in that program as well, or is that uh, a little bit lower? If, you know, if people already have jobs and so forth. So all of the people in the executive MBA program already have jobs, right. but it's it's not atypical to get here and to see all of the different careers that exist. I think a lot of people get on a ladder early on in their career, and you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years in, they start to think maybe this isn't the right ladder for me, or there's new careers that didn't exist five, ten years ago that are really interesting and they want to make that change. So we see a lot of that going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always really impressed with the backgrounds of these executive MBAs in our program. Have us having a lunch a couple of years ago with five people. One guy had a PhD from Caltech in physics. Complaining about my exam, I felt like I just... <laughs> <laughs> failed Sheldon on my exam here. And then you know, the, uh, three other people had PhDs in something else. One guy we teased, he was a loser because he only had three master's degrees. 
all from MIT, but he didn't have a PhD, but three master's degrees from MIT. Uh, it's, uh, but, you know, uh, very technical backgrounds, but obviously trying to build out their skill set. So why is switching so, you know, difficult? Is it simply about having the skill set? Is it about the networks? Why is it so challenging? So it's so challenging, Kent, because what has happened is the hiring process hasn't caught up to switchers. So switchers mm. are becoming the new normal. You've heard about the gig economy, portfolio careers, hybrid jobs. I mean, switching every 4.2 years is pretty average, just changing careers. The challenge we have is that the technology we use, applicant tracking systems and algorithms are still looking for matches. So they're Mm. still looking for keywords, they're still looking for key titles, or five years of experience in data analytics. And in some of these newer careers, people don't have five years of experience because the career hasn't, you know, even been around that long. Yeah, yeah. I often, you know, think of that on the employer side here is, you know, run a center hiring technologists and you know sometimes these you know stated number of years of experience seems uh, often very old-fashioned in, in, in many ways I mean because we should be weighing skill sets not years uh, of experience so if that's the case and I, and I think you know w- one of the things that you sometimes hear about employment process is so much on experience and in areas of, like technology quite frankly Experience doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, it could actually be a negative. <laughs> if you, you know, been around for a long time in technology and your resume doesn't reflect, you know, interesting new technologies, that can be a huge negative. It's more about skill. So how, how do you navigate uh, kind of that issue? So I think first you need to understand, um, and companies even need to understand what they're looking for. We know that the market is changing so quickly that, that jobs that exist today are going to morph into something different next year. So companies are trying to hire people who are agile, yet they're still using these yeah. keywords and, and years of experience. So I think that needs to shift. But because that may take a little longer, what I recommend to switchers is that still – after 50 years, the best way to get hired is through your contacts. And we know the statistics don't lie. If, you, if you're if you referred into a company, you've got a one in three shot of, of getting hired versus a one in 10 shot yeah. if you apply online. Plus, we know that for switchers in particular, applying online, is, you might as well throw your resume off a bridge because the fact is, 98% of Fortune 500 companies use applicant tracking systems, which are designed to weed out candidates right. and come up with a match. And a match would not be somebody who has a different functional background. So if you're applying online, you may feel like you're being productive, but chances are your resume or your application is never getting to humanize. Okay. So if you don't have a contact inside the company, what do you do? So here's the the great thing. LinkedIn didn't exist a mere 15 years yeah. ago. It does now. I mean, we've got social media. We've got Twitter. We've got LinkedIn. We've got, I mean, in an academic institution, you have your alumni network. You have your dormant contacts. So people maybe you worked with years ago that you haven't gotten in touch with lately. Mm. And I think one of the things you really need to do is start connecting with those individuals mm. because those are the people who are going to have what I call second-level contacts. And a lot of people focus on their first-level contacts and think, well, Kent, you know, you're not in career, so you probably couldn't help me. Mm. But you know a lot of people. You've got a robust network yourself. You've got family, friends, students. And so you really need to think about who might that person know instead of just what does this this one individual know? So building outside of your current circles. No, I agree. I have a very large network. Uh, A couple of them even even like me, but I (laughs) I, I hear you. I mean, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Agile, and it seems like, you know, companies are just all over the map. You know, McKinsey had this study 
few months ago while Google for the exact same position will often have a pay difference of 500% just for the exact same position. Mm -hmm. Then you have other companies, well, every position gets paid exactly the same amount because they're not, you know, focusing on skills. They're really just focusing on, you know, uh, what the what the job title is and, and the description and, and so forth. It seems like enormous differences between um, uh, companies that succeed seem to be very flexible and, and thinking hard about this issue. And again, speaking of Don uh, Graham, he's the career director here at the Wharton Executive MBA program and uh, the uh, author of the new book uh, called Switchers. And if you have a question about how to switch uh, your job and what you need to do, um, and she's also a lic- licensed psychologist. That uh, was interesting. To, can they ask for marital advice? Like that. no, <laughs> that, that's it. another that, show. That's another show. Okay, <laughs> all right. So we'll keep that one off. But if you have a career uh, question, give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Um, and so you write, uh, if you're not willing to lose, you're not ready to switch. And so that make, makes it sound negative, right? But you, you don't mean it that way. Well, how do you mean it? So, I, well, it makes it sound negative. I guess you could take it that way. But I, I think more so what I'm trying to imply is that this is a serious decision. Mm. And you, you brought psychology up. And I am a licensed psychologist. And one of the things I've tried to do throughout the book is weave in psychology principles as you know, in business, every interaction is based on some yeah. kind of psychology. There's a lot going on. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is, is loss aversion. And loss aversion is that tendency to weight losses more so than gains of similar value. So if, if HR calls and says, I'm going to you know, give you $200, you're going to be woohoo, maybe for a day, maybe even go home and tell your spouse, or you know, maybe you don't. If you're going to lose $200, you're going to be ticked off probably for weeks and, sure. and hold the grudge. So that's the idea of loss aversion. And what I find is that a lot of people who go to Switch are super excited about their, you know, they envision themselves in this new career. But then when you start getting into the heart of it, you know, what are you willing to trade off? Are you willing to take a salary cut? Are you willing to make a longer commute? Are you willing mm. to move geographies? Are you are you willing to travel more? All of a sudden, it starts to become less appealing. And what we do is we wait the the financial gains perhaps too much and we decide this isn't a great switch for us right yeah it, 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 you're absolutely right this loss aversion or sometimes called the endowment effect that yeah um, a couple of years ago the the person won the nobel prize in that area on, on this show we we're talking about that not so much in the case of career switching but other uh, a decision, but you're absolutely right. That fear of kind of losing, but there's a lot of examples. I mean, I, I run the Penn Wharton budget model. We hired a technologist who um, it recently left us, got paid four times more uh, for, with a West Coast company, but took a big pay cut to come with us, build up his skill set, and it was it was a good kind of win for. For him, so in some sense, it looked like he lost, but he was really working for us on a pure monetary basis. But he was really building up a skill set that he otherwise would not have, and is, is I think it's um, uh, certainly part of the career building. So, what about going back to school? I mean, uh, it, it, there's a lot of debate about this. Is is that helpful? Is that not helpful? Does schooling matter anymore? We obviously have a conflict of interest here. Yeah, I <laughs> know. About, uh, <laughs> uh, school does is that helpful? for a switcher? So here's here's what I say about schools. It certainly can be helpful for the lingo, for 
expanding your network. But a lot of people who decide to switch make this the first step. And I think that's because we're all a little risk averse and we think this is structured. I can do this. Somebody's going to tell me what classes to take. The problem is you still come out on the other side with a difficult job search and employers value applied experience way more than they value coursework. I yeah. mean, if, if you, you know, if you've ever tried to get a job right out of college, you're, they're going to ask you, what have you done? Have you done an internship? Have you done these things? So if you're going to look at school as an option, you want to make sure there's an applied aspect of it. But I also say, you know, you want to make sure this is going to be a good opportunity for you first, that, that the lifestyle is going to fit, that it's going to fit where you are with your family, because school is obviously a very big time commitment and money commitment. And I've, I've seen people, I had a, you know, one client who went through to be a speech therapist and at the end of that she did her internship she's like I hate this this isn't what I want to do and so you know two years of of schooling which you know turned out she didn't want to do that so I don't think it should be a first step I think it can be a step but you want to really do your exploration and research first. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, it, it, it's, it's also you can walk away with a fair amount of debt, especially for a professional uh, degree. We, we see this even MBA programs, unless you're going to a pretty strong one. Often people get their MBAs and they're just not more marketable on the job market. They think that having that certificate is what matters. It seems to me then how do you figure out if someone should go back to school? Because obviously that's still the biggest way that people increase their human capital in this country is, you know, the college degree, you know, somebody going to uh, just a pure undergraduate degree uh, uh, increases their present value of their uh, net worth by about a million bucks. If they go to better school, it's even more uh, uh, than that. There's obviously some sample selection bias going on there. Uh, But, you know, my general rule is, you know, go to school if you really need to get technical training, you're going to take it seriously. It's not about the football games and so forth. Uh, But then, you know, what's your kind of rules of, you know, how how does one figure out is schooling the right approach for them? Yeah, I would say first you have to have a purpose and a reason. So, for example, there are careers like nursing or or being a lawyer that you need that you need that credential. So those are those are an easy win. If you Mm -hmm. don't need the credential, I think you have to look at how am I going to use this to get closer to where I want to be? I think you have to look at the market. If the you know, does the market require this? A lot of times people come out with a degree and now they're overqualified. Again, yeah. depends on your industry. Is this valued in the type of industry that I want to be in? Mm. Am I going to use the network? To me, especially here at Wharton, but I think most schools, one of the most valuable pieces is the alumni network. Mm. And I see too many people come in and, and focus on on the academics and, and all of that, which is very important, but they skip the networking. And I think if you do that, you lose out on one of the biggest advantages. That's interesting. I mean, because I've seen studies, though, that say networking is overrated. Is that not true? Or is that just, you know, it, you have to be at a really top school for that to have uh, a value? So yeah, I've seen studies like that, too. And I think when you dig into them, what you'll realize is that it, it's not that it's networking as a transaction mm-hmm. that's overrated. Yeah. And if you're using networking as a transactional interaction you're right it's it's not going to help you but i think today social currency as they call it sure. is is in in more cases even even 
a greater asset than some of the skills. And you know that. I mean, I, I tell my students here at Wharton, I said, you know, it's not the most qualified person that gets a job. It's a CEO's nephew. Mm. And if you don't have an uncle who's a CEO, then you better start networking because we see this all the time. Is yeah. it fair? No. Does it happen? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Don Graham, again, the career director for the Wharton Executive MBA program, author of the new book, Switchers, if you're interested in talking about switching, give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So if we're thinking about trying to do that switch, you know, uh, in, in some cases it's you know I'm tired of engineering. I'm going to go in and do something that I love, which is often very you know financially risky. Um, uh, and, and you talked about that loss aversion kind of uh, uh, earlier. But suppose it's it's actually an upward path. But again, there's you know there's a transit transition path. Here. So how can someone, you know, realistically kind of set themselves up financially for a significant career switch? Is it just about saving up a big buffer stock of savings or is it kind of other things? I think it's about being realistic, Ken, because you had mentioned or alluded to this earlier that sometimes the, the loss is temporary. So I've seen students who step back financially for two years just to be you know, catapulted forward, yeah. even you know, earning more than they had earned before. So I think that's one. Two, I think you need to make sure you're not wait, waiting salary greater than some of the other things. Because when you start to factor in commute or even time with your family or some of the sure. other intangibles, you realize, you know, my kids are only going to be six and nine once. And so does this make sense for me to do mm. right now? And then I think other times people look at this as, as it's either um, this or nothing. And what, what I really encourage people to think about if you don't like it or if it's not working out you don't lose all the other skills that you've you've gained up to this point you can do other things so I think all of those things are important and I I think the last one that I tell people you know if you want somebody to invest in you and take a risk as somebody who's a switcher if you don't invest in yourself why should they yeah yeah absolutely and and let's talk about that like a hiring manager what do they in their mind i mean ultimately i could see why a hiring manager wants to know what their current employee um thinks about someone that they're potentially hiring a friend and so forth because in some ways that current employee is putting their reputation their social currency on the line uh for hiring a friend and so forth Let's put that one off to the side. It's more of a fresh, you know, um, person off the street. The hiring manager is thinking about trying to hire a switcher. What's going through their their mind? Is all the you know his his or her own loss aversion, or exactly. what, what is it? Yeah, exactly. You read the book, Kent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, that's exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking, what am I going to lose here? And obviously, you've heard all the statistics about how costly a poor hiring yeah. decision is. And so I'm not going to go into that. But it's also reputation. It's also not wanting to go through this hiring process again in six months. So a hiring manager would would rather hire an average safe performer versus a switcher. So it is on the switcher's shoulders to convince that hiring manager why they can do the job. And I think there are a number of reasons. Obviously, there's transferable skills, but switchers also tend to be hungry. They tend to be resourceful and agile. And in today's business world, there's just an article, as a matter of fact, about, you know, people who are graduating with MBAs. The hiring managers are looking for people who are agile, who are Mm. good influencers, who have these, what I think in business school they would consider soft skills. And people who are switchers tend to have this because they're resourceful, they learn quickly, they produce results quickly. And I think that's what they need to show the hiring managers because over the long term as the job morphs as it 
usually does, you're going to want that switcher in place versus somebody who maybe has 10 years of sales experience, but, you know, can't grow with the changing job. Right. I mean, it's certainly, you know, I see this being on the other other side of the table as a hiring manager. There's no question. It can be very exhausting trying to find the right person, all the interviews, especially as, you know, trying to hire, in my case, more on the Ph.D., uh, uh, level um, and so you want to hire to get the right person. Is, is the cost of getting a bad employee? It, I'm, I'm sure it varies by industry. Is that uh, have the studies looked at it by industry? And in particular, I'm kind of curious because there's a lot of oddities in technology, in particular mm-hmm. uh, the way networking works, the re- relationships work, and in particular, you know, the joke in technology because you know half my group is kind of PhDs, the other half is technologists. And, you know, if someone sends you their resume as a technologist, you basically say, that's a person I don't want <laughs> because that means there's a reason why they're sending their resume. Uh, it, it, instead, it's about networking with, you know, the different technology groups and things like that that, you know, uh, build that relationship. Is the cost of a bad hire much higher in technology? Does that explain the oddities in that area? Or is it, it, it just kind of the same across industries? So it does vary by level and it varies by complexity of the position. So I've not seen it broken down by industry, but if you go by complexity of the Mm. position, I think that would certainly speak to technology in that respect. I see. And you also talk about kind of rebranding yourself. What what, what is, you say it's very important. What does that mean? Yeah. So a lot of people don't like the idea of personal branding. They say branding is for products. But again, here's here's the fact. A Mm. lot of career decisions are made when you're not in the room. And if people don't know the value you bring to the table and people aren't aware of what you can do and what you want to do, those decisions are being made and you're not even part of the conversation. So I think branding is really important. And when you're a switcher, you need to let go of, for example, you talked about the PhD. I've had Wharton students who are coming and they're they're in pharma. They have a PhD. They have all of the, the clinical credentials, but they want to switch to the business side. They want to do strategy in pharma. And of course, in pharma, they're like, no, 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 no. You're on that side. We're on this side. There's right. no crossover. And my, my first thing is, why are you leading with your PhD? Why yeah. are you basically telling them you're not what they want? Mm. So a big part of it can sometimes be taking those credentials that you're really proud of and putting them in the back burner and putting forward those skills you do have that's what they want. Match first, stand out second is always what I tell students. And the other thing is you have to realize hiring, a lot of people think it's about selection. It's not. It's about elimination. Mm. As you mentioned, hiring managers, they dislike hiring just as much as we (laughs) dislike the job search. Mm. They want to get it over with. They want to get you in the chair. They want to get work off their plate. So they are looking for the easiest ways to eliminate you Mm. quickly. And when you build a job search strategy based on that, it completely changes. And you become that person who matches first, stands out second. Is there a problem switching too much? I mean, I guess that's a little superficial in the sense that you're really talking about switching industries, switching functional roles. I mean, sometimes get resumes where, you know, people are bouncing from firm to firm to firm. 
And it kind of get, makes me wonder, you know, how long they're going to be sticking around. I, that's mm-hmm. much more of a switch and a, a superficial uh, a, a level. Uh, but I guess what you're talking about is that once in a career time, you know, once in a career type switch, or are you talking about switching that maybe could happen every couple of years? People are doing it more and more, Kent. And in part, it's really about convincing somebody you can hit the ground running and produce quick results. Yeah. And we're seeing this. We're seeing, especially in certain industries, people come in and within two years, they've produce some pretty monumental results and then they move on to somewhere where they can do that again. And I think if that's your MO, you can switch as many times as you want. And in fact, what we're seeing now is a bias in the other direction. Mm. If you've stayed at a company too long, eight, 10 years, or you've been in a similar role, companies are biased against you because they believe, true or not, you're not agile, you're not adaptable, you might not be able to function in a different culture or, or influence in different situations. And so they start to question are you the employee I want? Because my business is changing fast, and I don't know if you can do it. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen that with some technology companies. Uh, a former student of mine at one of the large companies for like nine years, which was you know ridiculously long, and she was saying that uh, it's it's sometimes it makes it even harder um, to switch um, unless you have a really good story. You know, if you have a PhD in a particular engineering for that special field, then that's one thing. Uh, but it's much harder uh, if you don't. So if a lot of times people talk about what's the backup plan, especially if you have kids, you have a family you're supporting, um, you know, things like that. Should you have a plan B? And what what does plan B kind of look like? Yeah, that's one of the things that has probably been the most controversial in switchers, which is I, I don't believe you should have a plan B mm. at all. And I think research out of Wharton actually right here has talked about if you have a plan B, you tend to fall back on it. Mm. And, you know, so that's one. But two, if you don't believe 100% that you can do this, you're asking somebody to hire you and and pay you to do this. So if you don't believe it, why should they? So with your network, with the hiring managers, with everybody who you're going to ask for help in your job search, you have to be 100% committed all in. If they don't see that, they're not going to help you. They're not going to use their social currency to help you if you don't believe. And here's the thing. You inherently have a plan B, even Mm. if you spend no energy. And I mean, you're not coming to the table with no skills. If you go all in for a year and you don't get where you want to be, then you're you're always going to have the skills you came to the table with. The other thing is you may need what I call in the book a stepping stone. So maybe if you're looking to make a drastic switch, maybe functional and industry, you decide to do a stepping stone switch, meaning you change function within your current industry where you've built credibility and goodwill. And then you make an industry switch. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Sure. I, I, I would say from a financial perspective, certainly having sa- saving up some money <laughs> ahead of this switcheroo is, is, is certainly a good idea. We always talk about having a good emergency account um, already as things for switchers, even beefing that up. Um, it's certainly a good idea. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, related to that salary. I mean, if you're a switcher, you're kind of a new person in the area. I mean, it's easy to go on, you know, payscale.com and controversy mm-hmm. about, the, the, you know, payscale and other websites like that that talk about kind of industry averages. But, you know, and say, okay, that, that's the salary I should expect. Is, is that realistic for a switcher to say, you know, 
hit the ground running, and you know, I should, in my mid thirties, mid career professionally, even though I'm switching. On one hand, I shouldn't go in an analyst level necessarily. Um, At the same time, I'm not necessarily mid career in terms of experience. What what, what's the kind of realistic expectations about salary? So yeah, you should expect market rate, which might mean depending on where you're coming from, you have to take a pay cut. So if you're coming from from finance and going to nonprofit, you're going to have to take a pay cut. Um, the fact is, if you're going to be in, moving into a switch, you're going to get paid market rate because you're going to get mm. paid for the work you're doing. Meaning, if I were to to leave my job here at Wharton and be a barista at Starbucks, mm. I, I couldn't go in and say, here's what I make and here's what I expect you to pay. Oh. They're going to say, no, we're going to pay you what we pay sure. everybody to do this work. And as a switcher, you need to be confident that once you get the offer – and once they've decided you're the candidate they want to bring on board, you're the person who's going to be taking work off my desk, that you are going to be paid market rate. Now, you're not sure. going to be at the top of the salary band, but most new hires are not. Yeah, but at the same time, it's more about going the opposite direction. Become, you know, you're a barista, and now you're trying to become you know, you know, your job or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it's probably not realistic to say, okay, let's figure out how many – how much money people in your position currently make, and therefore I should expect the same thing? Or do you think that is realistic? I do think it's realistic. If they decide you're the one they're going to hire, what they've decided is you have the skills we need, you're going to produce the results we need, and therefore you should be paid market rate. There's no reason that that you should be paid based on your last job. And quite frankly, in negotiating, that is a tactic a lot of companies use to psych out job seekers, is they say, well, what were you making before? And then they come back with maybe – you know, something five or 10% over that. And they think that, you know, that's okay. But the fact is you should be paid for the work you're doing in the industry you're doing in the geography that you're doing it. Sure. And, you know, at the same time, I can kind of see if the person giving you the job is taking on the risk, you know, and it's very costly to, you know, um, and I take that on. I mean, I could, I could, I could imagine some type of compensation for that. I don't want to disagree with you too much, but um, maybe I'm just being selfish here and being on the side sometimes. So if but, you're going to hire yeah. them, you're not going <laughs> to hire yeah. them at market rate. Yeah, but yeah, there's so, there's other right. things you can do. I mean, you can sure. negotiate a six month salary review. So if they're not sure. going to hire you at market rate, you could say, okay, I know I can do this job. I'm going to prove it to you. Let's get some tangible. Uh, factors in place and let's look at it again in six months. I mean, so there's a lot of ways you can negotiate to get to where you want to be. Excellent. Uh, we're at the, really at the next segment. I'm going to squeeze in one, one call here from Chase from uh, Washington. How can I help you, Chase? Hey, I was calling. I had some questions about switching All right. uh, industries. I've been in sales for the last five years in a very niche market in dental, and mm-hmm. I'm looking to switch over to the technology side of things. Um, a lot of my interviews I've been on, they're looking for someone with experience to, I guess, bring into their company. I want to know what recommendations you had for someone that's looking to switch uh, their sales career to a different industry. Um, do you recommend kind of going in, getting some type of credentials before going into a new industry, or what are your suggestions on making that transition yeah. smooth? So, so in some cases, it's just you know, switching in terms of still doing sales. So it's not like going from engineering to kind of business development, things like that. Uh, but it's a different, completely different industry. Uh, so Don, your, your thoughts, does he, it doesn't seem like you would need a degree necessarily for that. Yeah, I, I don't think you need a degree. And industry switches, fortunately, are one of the, the the least challenging switches. I do understand in sales that they're looking to make sure that you know the product. So I just have a couple of uh, quick questions. What is your, your record in, in dental sales? 
um, as far as the growth of my territory. Well, yeah, I mean, do you, were you stellar? Were you number one? Were you top? Yeah. Yes, I've been uh, number top ten for oh, top five percent for the last three years. I've grown my territory to the million dollar territory over the last three years, which is the top five growing territories in the country. Um, I was just promoted to sales specialist in this industry as well. So, um, did so you have one of the top performers? Did you have experience in in the dental area before? No, I actually uh, got this job straight out of college. Bam! Uh, there's your experience. there's your in right there. So you can demonstrate to them that you've had you had no experience in this industry, and yet you are one of the top salespeople. And you want to talk about how you you've done that, whether it's your resourcefulness, your relationships, your ability to close the deal quickly. I mean, think about all the ways you do that, and then that's going to be the lead off. Because I'll tell you what, um, sometimes companies ask for ten years of sales experience, but what they're not saying is, were you good? Did you actually sell? Did you actually, you know, become top performers. So they don't often know what they want, but what they, you know, in terms of what they put on a job description, but they do know they want somebody who can come in, close the deal, not need their handheld and be a top performer in an industry that um, that they're working in. So you nailed it right there. That's yeah. all I need to say. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And thanks so much for calling Chase, really. Uh, I appreciate it. And I completely agree with you, especially in the area of sales. I mean, there seems to be a unique talent in sales is knowing your product. Um, if you can really learn a new product um, and demonstrate that, I think it's a very transferable uh, skill set. Uh, Don, fantastic job. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me back, Kent. And you can find out more about Don by going to her website, which is uh, on Twitter, um, is at Dr. Don Graham. Again, at Dr. Don Graham, or you could simply go into his website, which is Dr. Don on Careers. Um, and again, your new book is called Switchers. What's the full title, Switchers? How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. All right. And uh, so that's out right now? On, it is uh, out, it. Amazon and major booksellers. All right, fantastic. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.